Day 5 of Titus Tuus's Novena to Our Lady of Lourdes With quotes from Blessed John Paul II's Apostolic Letter Salvifici Dolores On the Salvific Meaning of Suffering The scriptures had to be fulfilled. There were many messianic texts in the Old Testament which foreshadowed the sufferings of the future Anointed One of God. Among all these, particularly touching is the one usually called the fourth song of the servant of Yahweh in the book of Isaiah. The prophet, who has rightly been called the fifth evangelist, presents in this song an image of the sufferings of the servant with a realism as acute as if he was seeing them with his own eyes the eyes of the body and of the spirit. In the light of the verses of Isaiah, the passion of Christ becomes almost more expressive and touching than in the descriptions of the evangelists themselves. Here he presents before us the true man of sorrows. He had no form or beauty to attract our gaze. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Yet he bore our sufferings and carried our sorrows, and we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that gave us salvation, and with his stripes we are healed. We had all gone astray like sheep, each following his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Song of the Suffering Servant contains a description in which it is possible, in a certain sense, to identify the stages of Christ's passion in their various details. The arrest, the humiliation, the blows, the spitting, the contempt for the prisoner, the unjust sentence, and then the scourging, the crowning with thorns, and the mocking, the carrying of the cross, the crucifixion, the agony. Even more than this description of the Passion, what strikes us in the words of the Prophet is the depth of the sacrifice of Christ. Here, he, though innocent, takes upon himself the sufferings of all men, because he takes upon himself the sins of everyone. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all, all the sin of man in its breadth and depth becomes the true cause of the suffering of the Redeemer. If the suffering is measured by the evil suffered, then the words of the Prophet enable us to understand the extent of this evil and of this suffering, which Christ loaded upon himself. One can say that this is substitutive suffering but above all it is redemptive.
The man of sorrows of that prophecy is truly that Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In his suffering, sins are erased precisely because he alone, as the only begotten Son, could take them upon himself, accept them with that love for the Father which overcomes the evil of every sin. In a certain sense, he annihilates this evil in the spiritual space of the relationship between God and humanity, and fills this space with good. Here we touch upon the duality of nature of a unique, personal subject of redemptive suffering. He who by his passion and death on the cross brings about the redemption is the only begotten Son whom God gave. At the same time, this Son, who is consubstantial with the Father, suffers as a man. His suffering has human dimensions. It also has, unique in humanity's history, a depth and intensity which, while being human, can also be an incomparable depth and intensity of suffering, as the man who suffers is in person the only begotten Son, God from God. Therefore only he, the only begotten Son, is capable of embracing the measure of evil contained in the sin of man, in every sin and in total sin, according to the dimensions of the historical existence of humanity on earth. It can be said that the above considerations now brings us directly to Gethsemane and Golgotha, where the song of the suffering servant contained in the book of Isaiah was fulfilled. But before going there, let us read the following verses of the song, which give a prophetic anticipation of the passion of Gethsemane and of Golgotha. The suffering servant, and this in its turn is essential for an analysis of the passion of Christ, takes on himself those sufferings which have been spoken of in a totally voluntary way. He was mistreated, humiliated, and he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, like a sheep dumb before its shearers, and he opened not his mouth. By oppression and unjust sentence he was taken away. Among his generation who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, he was stricken for the iniquity of his people. He was given a burial with the wicked, and his grave with the rich. Although he had committed no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Christ suffers voluntarily and suffers innocently. With his suffering he welcomes that question which, asked many times by men, has been expressed in a certain sense in a radical way by the book of Job. Christ, however, not only carries with him the same question, and this is in an even more radical way, 
for he is not only a man like Job, but the only begotten Son of God. But he also carries the greatest possible answer to this question. One can say the answer emerges from the very material from which the question is made up. Christ gives the answer to the question about suffering and about the meaning of suffering, not only by his teaching, that is, by the good news, but above all by his own suffering, which is integrated with this teaching of the good news in an organic and indissoluble way. And this is the last definitive word of his teaching, the word of the cross, as St. Paul will say one day. This word of the cross completes the image of the ancient prophecy with a definitive reality. Many episodes, many discourses during the public teaching of Christ testify that from the beginning he accepts this suffering, which is the will of the Father for the salvation of the world. However, the prayer in Gethsemane becomes a definitive point here. The words, My Father, if it be possible, let this chalice pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I wish, but as you wish. And a little later, My Father, if this chalice cannot pass unless I drink it, thy will be done. Have a manifold eloquence. They prove the truth of that love, which the only begotten Son gives to the Father in his obedience. At the same time, they testify to the truth of his suffering. The words of the prayer of Christ in Gethsemane prove the truth of love through the truth of suffering. Christ's words confirm with all simplicity this human truth of suffering to its very depths. Suffering is the undergoing of evil before which man shudders. He says, Let it pass from me, just as Christ says in Gethsemane. His words together attest to this unique and incomparable depth and intensity of suffering, which only the man who is the only begotten Son could experience. They attest to that depth and intensity which the prophetic words quoted above help us in their own way to understand. Not of course completely, for this we would have to penetrate the divine human mystery of the subject, but at least to perceive the difference and also the similarity which exists between every possible suffering of man and the suffering of the God-man. Gethsemane is the place where precisely this suffering, in all the truth expressed by the prophet about the evil experienced in it, is revealed, as it were definitively, before the eyes of the soul of Christ. After the words in Gethsemane come the words uttered on Golgotha, which testify to this depth, unique in world history, 
of the evil of the suffering experienced. When Christ says, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? His words are not only an expression of that abandonment, which found expression in the Old Testament many times, especially in the Psalms, and in particular in that Psalm 22:21, from which come the words quoted. One can say that these words about abandonment are born at the level of the inseparable union of the Son with the Father, and are born because the Father laid on Him the iniquity of us all. They also foreshadow the words of St. Paul. He who knew no sin, God made him to be sin for our sake. Together with this horrible weight, encompassing the entire evil of the turning away from God, contained in sin, Christ, through the divine depths of his filial union with the Father, perceives in a humanly inexpressible way this suffering which is the separation, the rejection of the Father, the rupture from God. But precisely through such suffering he accomplishes the redemption and can say as he expires, everything is accomplished. One can also say that the scripture has been fulfilled, that the words of the song of the suffering servant have been definitively realized. The Lord wished to crush him with sorrow. Human suffering has reached its culmination in the passion of Christ. And at the same time, it has entered into a completely new dimension and a new order. It has been linked to love, to that love of which Christ spoke to Nicodemus, to that love which creates good, drawing it out from evil, drawing it out by means of suffering. Just as the supreme good of the redemption of the world was taken from the cross of Christ, and from it constantly takes its beginning. The cross of Christ has become a source from which flow rivers of living water. In it we must also repeat the question about the meaning of suffering and read in it, to its very depths, the answer to this question. Let us pray. Hail Mary, poor and humble woman, blessed by the Most High, Virgin of hope, prophecy of the new times, we join in your song of praise to celebrate the mercies of the Lord, to proclaim the coming of the kingdom and the full liberation of humanity. Hail Mary, humble servant of the Lord, Glorious Mother of Christ, Faithful Virgin, Holy Dwelling of the Word, teach us to persevere in listening to the Word, to be docile to the voice of the Spirit, 
attentive to his appeals in the intimacy of our conscience and to his manifestations in the events of history. Hail Mary, woman of sorrow, mother of the living, virgin spouse beneath the cross, the new Eve, be our guide along the paths of the world. Teach us to live and spread the love of Christ. To stand with you beneath the innumerable crosses on which your Son is still crucified. Hail Mary, woman of faith, first of the disciples, virgin mother of the church. Help us always to give an account for the hope which is in us, trusting in the goodness of man and the love of the Father. Teach us to build the world from within, in the depths of silence and prayer, in the joy of fraternal love, in the irreplaceable fruitfulness of the cross. Holy Mary, Mother of Believers, Our Lady of Lourdes, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.